ask you to take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 11 with me this morning. Romans chapter 11. One of the challenges of being a Christian for a long time is that we can fall into a state of spiritual complacency and we can even take on an air of superiority over other people when we compare ourselves. We can drift into the godless mindset that we somehow contributed to our salvation as if God needed us in order to kind of put put us over the edge spiritually. And one of the things that we can do is we can start comparing ourselves to other maybe weaker Christians or maybe unbelievers and think, you know, God really made a good choice in saving me. I mean, I'm a really valuable asset to his team, and I can see why he would choose me. And particularly, I think as Gentiles, we can take on an arrogant mindset over Jews who at one time had all these great privileges and resources at their fingertips, and yet they squandered them away. And so we look at that and we think that somehow we are more special than they, and then we start to become arrogant, and it's at that time that we need God to remind us where we came from and also the danger of turning away ourselves like the Jews did. And that's what Paul does here. He wants to warn us Gentiles about pride regarding our salvation and remind us of our heritage that really, in terms of our salvation, we are all descendants of Abraham. Because it's through Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so we should not look down on Jews who are at this time turning away from God, in general that is, but rather rather we should be humble before God and recognize that we in our position don't deserve to be where we are. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. Let me begin reading here in chapter 11, verse 11. This is the word of God. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree... Do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. 
And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? This morning we're going to see that we Gentiles should not be proud about our salvation because God has not given up on Israel. Two main points we see this this morning. First, God is not done with the Jews. And second, the Gentiles should not be arrogant. So that's the basic parts of the text. God is not done with the Jews. Therefore, we Gentiles should not be arrogant. So first, God is not done with the Jews. Verses 11 to 15 and then at the end of the passage. The Gentiles, in their reception of the Gospel, actually it serves God's greater purpose, which is to later on re-include the Jews. God has a plan to bring the Jews back in. That's what all this talked about grafting and regrafting is all about. It said the Jews have been cut off for a time, but they're going to be grafted back in. Notice the first words of verse 11. I say then. These are the same words that begin the chapter. And as I mentioned when we saw that in verse 1, this, that means, I say then, it means it ties it to the previous section. So what was the previous section to our passage, verse 11? previous section is verses 1 to 10, which is where Paul addressed the question of whether Israel has been permanently cast off from God's plan. If the gospel is free and available to the Gentiles without any need for them to obey the works of the law, then, then what value is the Jews? What value are the Jews? Right? What's the purpose of the Jews? If, if they've already done what they were supposed to do, right? They, they brought Christ into the world effectively through their lineage, then now that it's open to the Gentiles, then what's the purpose of the Jews? Do we need them anymore? Are they not part of God's plan? Paul showed that God is completely just to to choose some Gentiles and to exclude some Jews, and yet all this is on the basis of grace. And yet, in God's sovereign love and wisdom, He has not chosen to completely remove Israel from His program, has He? And here in verses 11 and following, Paul wants to show that God is not done with the Jews, but rather that he plans to re-include them in his program and to make them a centerpiece of what he is doing in the end times. So the question that Paul begins with in verse 11 is this. They did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Obviously, the implied answer is no. The stumbling here reminds us of chapter 9, the last two verses in chapter 9, where Israel stumbled over Christ. The stumbling stone, or the, the, um, this rock became the stumbling stone for them. Because they tried to, remember, do it on their own power. They tried to receive God's blessings by works of the law. And God said, you can't do that. And so when Christ came to offer salvation by grace through faith, they stumbled because they thought the only way we can come to God is through works. And so what's happened now is that Israel has actually stumbled, but Paul's saying they haven't fallen completely. It's like they were a runner in a race, right? And, and God's kind of like the coach on the team. The runner was the elite runner for his team, and yet he stumbles in a previous race. And now in the current race, God is saying, all right, you Gentile, you go out and run for me. And so it looks like for the Gentiles, hey, I'm a better runner. 
And what God is saying is just because he stumbled back there in that race doesn't mean I'm not going to use him again. But rather, he's coming back in the race. I'm going to use him. See, Israel has not been disqualified completely. God has a place for them. He's going to re-include them back into his program. In fact, they're a part of his program now. It's just that their position in that, that plan is being delayed. Notice Paul's answer to the possibility that Israel has been completely disqualified in the middle of verse 11. May it never be. So, yes, it's true. Israel did stumble over Christ, but this promise, praise God, is not permanent. It's not irrevocable, as we're going to see in verse 29 next week. It's not irreversible. That's the idea. That although Israel stumbled, yes, they stumbled, but they're not going to fall completely. So how can we explain this then? How can we explain, explain Israel stumbling? Look at the second part of verse 11. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. So their transgression, the sin of the Jews, which was their stumbling, turned out to cause the gospel to go where? To us Gentiles, right? To, so that the gospel would spread to more and more people, and then that eventually would do what? Look at the last part of verse 11. To make them jealous. So here, here's, the, here's the, um, the progression. You have the Jews stumbling. That leads to the gospel going to the Gentiles. And the gospel going to the Gentiles actually causes jealousy in the Jews, which makes them want to re-examine the gospel for themselves. And as a result, some of the Jews, and actually all the Jews in the end times, are going to come to Christ. God apparently is going to bring Jews to Christ through their jealousy. Look at verse 14. If somehow, the same idea, Paul's saying, I magnify my ministry, if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. See, part of Paul's present responsibility and expectation plan is that the Jews will be jealous over the gospel that's going to the, Jew, to the Gentiles. And the point is not how a person came to Christ. The point is that they come to Christ. And this is what consistent with what David had prophesied that in, in chapter 10, verse 19, we saw this. That, that I, Moses says, I, I'm sorry, what Moses prophesied, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. This is Israel. This is part of God's plan from the beginning that they would be, they would, we, would stumble over Christ, they would stumble over the gospel, be set aside for a period of time, but then as they start to examine the Gentiles and the spread of the gospel and the blessing of God on the Gentiles, that eventually they would be jealous and come back to Christ. Praise God. And amazingly, the Jews will not come back to this salvation as a nation until they see the great benefits that the Gentiles enjoy. The Jews' current rejection gives way to God's bigger plan to restore them. Verses 12 and 13 and 15. God has, has a bigger plan to restore them. It may look like the Jews have been cast off forever, but they will return. Look at verse 12. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? So here's the line of reasoning. If their rejection of Christ brought the widespread proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles, that's what happened when they rejected Christ, right? That's what happened. It spread out to all the Gentiles. What's going to happen when they accept Christ? Right? That's the point. There's going to be such a greater fulfillment. We're going to see exactly what that is. 
This is one of the amazing catalysts that God uses to bring the whole nation of Israel to saving faith. It is the beginning of their obstinacy. They're turning from God. This is, a, this is what God will eventually use to bring them back to Himself. Even Paul's ministry to the Gentiles is not finally meant for the Gentiles. Look at verse 13. But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, therefore I magnify my ministry. Why? So that, verse 14, I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen. So I have a purpose. I, I want the gospel to come to you Gentiles, but you know what I really want to see? Not that I'm, I dismiss you or I'm not really ultimately concerned about you, but, but I do have a big purpose in this. I want to see the Jews become jealous and come back to Christ. See, Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles, but his hope was that the Gentiles' salvation would indirectly work towards the salvation of the Jews. And then look at verse 15. For if their rejection, that's the Jews, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, okay, that is that the gospel spreads to the whole world, then what will the acceptance be but, and here's the answer to what it will be, Life from the dead. So here's the argument from lesser to greater. If their rejection of the gospel, the rejection of God's blessing by faith, turned out to be the proclamation of the gospel to the whole world and people being reconciled to God, the Gentiles, what's going to happen when they finally come to saving faith, not by works of righteousness? What's going to happen? Look at the last part of the verse again. What will it be except for life from the dead? Their salvation, their, their nationwide salvation will bring about the end of history. That's what this life from the dead is talking about. That is that all of history has been built on the foundation of Israel and their Messiah. And after they rejected Him, history continued on until the time in which they will repent as a nation. And when they do, God will show His favor on the whole nation and bring about... Life from the dead. Resurrection. And the reason that I know that this is talking about resurrection from the dead is because every time that this phrase, from the dead, is used in the New Testament, it always refers to bodily, physical resurrection. There's one exception, okay, always except one, except one time, and that's in chapter 6, verse 13 of Romans, where Paul uses that phrase, from the dead, and he uses it to make a comparison of what uh, that life from the dead looks like in a spiritual sense. Okay, but, but every other time it's referring to bodily, physical resurrection in the New Testament. And that's what I think Paul's saying here. That when the Jews finally come to saving faith as a nation, there will be bodily life from the dead. People will be brought up from the grave and Christ will reign. So if God's rejection of the Jews initiated the call of salvation and made it go to all of us Gentiles and to many more, so how much more will God's acceptance of the Jews through their repentance and faith bring about the final end of time? The resurrection from the dead. So the Gentiles' salvation actually served God's greater purpose. Next we see that just as God grafted in the Gentiles, so He will, he will reattach or regraft in the Jews, verses 23 and 24. So now we're going to skip to the end because what Paul does is he, he takes a break and talks about how the Gentiles should not be arrogant. We're going to come back to that. But then he goes back to the idea that, listen, if God 
could could graft you Gentiles in? How can he not graft in Jews? The point is that there's no trouble for God to to graft in Jews into his plan of salvation. Because it's no harder for God to graft in the Jews as it was to graft in the Gentiles. All of them require a miraculous work of God's Spirit. Right? It's, it's like saying which person is harder to raise from the dead? A person who just died yesterday or a person who died two years ago? Which one's harder to raise from the dead? And the point is that's not a good question. Right? They're both impossible. And Paul's saying, listen, grafting someone in to the vine, which is Christ, it doesn't matter if the person is a part of the vine or not, or if they were once a part of the vine or they're not. The point is that they both require a miraculous work of God. For the Gentiles, they were cut off from God's blessing. And they were objects of His wrath at one time. They were like the wild olive tree. Notice that in the text, verse 23. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. He's talking about the Jews. So here's the main point of verses 23 and 24. God can graft the Jews back into His salvation vine. That is Christ. Verse 24. For if you Gentiles were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, if you came from something that doesn't even come close to matching this olive tree, which is Israel, if you came from that and you still bore fruit, then... And he continues on, and if you were grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, okay, and you were Gentiles, then here's the, the argument, then how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So God can miraculously do this. It doesn't matter which tree you come from, whether you're Gentile or Jew. God can graft you in. God can graft them in. The point is that they need to turn from their unbelief. The point is not that one is harder than the other. The point is, is that each one, the Gentile or the Jew, both need a work of God, don't they? They need God to be the gardener, to do the pruning. So if God has not given up on Israel, then what are we supposed to make of this? Okay, if, if Israel has stumbled so as to fall and given us an opportunity now to run in the race, what are we supposed to make of this? And here, here it is for us. We should not be arrogant, verses 16 to 22. We should not be arrogant. Now, in this first section of Romans, Romans 1 through 11, there are only a handful of commands in the entire 11 chapters. We're going to get, once we get to chapter 12, we're going to start to see command after command. And the point, is, as I've mentioned before, is that Paul often does this. He, he talks about our theology or our God and our position before God, and then he moves to what that means for us, which is application. And that's what he's going to do in chapter 12. But here he actually sneaks in a couple points of application before he gets to that practical section that starts in chapter 12. And the only two commands in this entire passage in chapter in our passage for today are in verses 18 and 20. Look at them with me. Here's the first one. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. So you Gentiles, don't be arrogant toward the Jews. Then verse 20 Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief. But you, stand by your faith. Don't be conceited, but fear. Okay, so those are the only two commands there in verses 18 and 20. So, first, the humility that comes from a proper view of our heritage, verses 16 through 18. Uh, The humility that comes from a proper view of our heritage. In order to understand what God demands of us Gentiles, we need to understand our heritage. And that's what Paul wants to 
us to see in verses 16 through 18. Now, for us to understand what Paul's talking about, we need to understand the imagery that he's using. First, he uses this illustration of a lump of dough. Do you see that in verse 16? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also holy. What he's talking about here is the first fruits of the dough. That if you cut off a, a chunk of dough, you would expect if that is fine, it's not corrupted, then the rest of the dough is going to be fine as well. And here are the first fruits, the first piece is referring to what I think is the founders of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They served as the foundation stone of the gospel for the Old Testament. And and what Paul is saying is if that first piece were holy, those Jews who established this whole uh, race, then, then God's not going to throw out the rest of the dough. Instead, He's going to restore it. That's what He's going to do with the Jews. In other words, if the beginning of Israel's history was holy, then why would the future of Israel not be holy? God chose them as a nation. He made promises to them. He gave blessings to those that initial lump of dough. And he's saying, why would I just let go of the rest of this dough? I'm not going to. I've got a plan for it. It's going to be a part of my blessing. So that's the first illustration. The second illustration is the olive tree, which we've already talked about a little bit. And it starts at the last part of verse 16. If the root is holy, the branches are too. Now, again, I've already mentioned the olive tree is a symbol of the nation of Israel. You can go back to Jeremiah 11 and see this. Isaiah talks about the same sort of thing, that the, the olive tree is a symbol of Israel. And what he's saying is that the root, if the root is holy, if the root, what established that olive tree is holy, that's, I think, the patriarchs, then why would we expect the rest of the the tree not to be good. If God made the root holy, then will He not make the entire tree holy? Now the point here, Paul is not making the point that every Jew will come to salvation. We know that that's true from our own experience. We know that's true from from the Old Testament as well. But rather that the foundation has been laid. The nutrients have been given. The, the, The foundation stones have been laid and now Eventually, at some point, verse 26, look at verse 26. So all Israel will be saved. If God established the roots through the patriarchs to be holy and to be objects of His blessing, then why would we be surprised if in the end times, verse 26, that all Israel comes to salvation? We shouldn't be surprised because they are a part of God's plan. In verse 17, the natural branches are referring to Israel. They have been cut off because of our unbelief. Right? What do you do with fruitless branches on a tree? You prune them. You prune the tree so that the nutrients that feed that dead branch will go to the rest of the tree instead of being wasted on dead branches. And, and what God does there is He prunes the tree, gets rid of these Jews who do not trust in His gospel. And in place of that, He grafts in, notice the second part of verse 17, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them on, of the rich root of the olive tree. So He's saying, you Gentiles, you now have been made a part of that tree so that you now have the source of your life or at least part of the nutrients of your life coming from the patriarchs. 
that you are a recipient of the blessings that were promised to the Jewish fathers. Think of it. And so the point for the Gentiles is that we need to get off of our pedestal, our high horse, and realize that the only reason that we have the Gospel is because of the Jews. That through the Jews, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And the most and the clearest way that this was expressed, obviously, was in their great descendant, Jesus Christ. When He came to be born on this earth and He died for the sins of both Jews and Gentiles. But the point is, is that all was established through the root which were those founding fathers. So notice the command in verse 18. Verse 18 is not start a new sentence. It's a continuation of verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off and you Gentiles were grafted in, then, verse 18, do not be arrogant toward the Jews, the branches. Salvation for the Jews and salvation for us Gentiles all comes the same way. By the grace of the gardener who chooses to graft us in. Notice the end of verse 18. You do not support... Uh, It is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. So don't become arrogant. The fact that the Jews exist and the fact that they have a solid foundation is one of the reasons that we Gentiles have been offered the Gospel. So don't despise your Jewish heritage in the sense that you have been grafted in to be a part of the blessings that were promised to their fathers. You see, God didn't promise those things to our fathers, but we are able to join into those promises by virtue of the grafting in that we have through, uh, through, through, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is that the patriarchs, the Jewish patriarchs, are still the source of spiritual nourishment for us Gentiles. So the humility that comes from remembering our heritage, and then secondly, the humility that comes from a warning of judgment. So we can be humble by recognizing, wait a second, we're not really as great as we thought we were. We thought we were special. God said, oh, that's a really nice branch. We, I could really use that on my tree. No, actually, God was merciful in allowing us to be a part of this great tree. But, but we can also be humbled in another way in verses 19 through 22, and that is that humility that comes from the warning of judgment. We Gentiles might look at our current acceptance by God and think, you know, God set the Jews aside. They stumbled. They're falling. We're superior to them. We are at the center of God's plan. And it's true in verse 20 that the Jewish branches were broken off. But you know, the reason that we were grafted in is not because of their unworthiness or our worthiness. But the reason that we were grafted in is what? Look at verse Verse 20. They were broken off for their unbelief. But the reason that we were grafted in is what? Because you stand by your faith. The Jews were cut off because they thought their superiority was tied to their physical genealogy to Abraham. That, hey, my father's Abraham physically, so I'm going to be okay. And what, what Paul's saying is here is that we Gentiles should not fall into the same trap of arrogance thinking that we are something that we're not. The the Gentiles that were reading this originally, and we need to be reminded that we are nothing apart from God's grace that comes through faith. That we in no way earned our standing. 
we in no way earned our connection to the olive tree. Right? It would be like an immigrant, a recent immigrant to the United States, becoming arrogant about his citizenship and just blasting the forefathers of our country, acting like that, you know, as an immigrant, I'm better than everybody else. And what Paul is saying here is what we might say to that recent immigrant. Don't get arrogant about your citizenship because it can be revoked, can it? If a natural-born citizen could be expatriated for betrayal, then couldn't a recent immigrant also be expatriated? In other words, this recent immigrant needs to stop focusing on himself and recognize that, that being a part of this country is a privilege, right? And the same thing is true about our saving faith. We can stand here and say, what a great person I am. And, you know, God was good to choose me and is so wise because I'm such a good asset to his team. And who cares about those Jews? Tire them. Too many stories about them. We Gentiles do it so much better. We need to stop comparing ourselves to the Jews who do not believe. And we need to get our focus back on God where it belongs. Because that's what our salvation is about, isn't it? It's about faith. In Christ, we stand not on the basis of any works that we have done, but on the basis of our faith in Christ. And, and here's the warning at the second part of verse 20. We should not be arrogant because God is not afraid to judge you just as he judged the Jews. He says, do not be conceited, but fear. And then verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, right? if God expatriated them because of their unbelief, then He will not spare you either. Don't be surprised. Just because you got grafted in, you for a time received some of His blessings, don't think that God's going to keep you there. Then verse 22, Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in His kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. Cut off. The fact that God removed the Jews, the natural branches, should not create in us pride should it rather it should create fear in us if god had made a promise to their fathers that through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed that they would have their land and their peace and their protection from enemies if they obeyed him if they followed him in faith then why would god be so slow to remove us if we don't persevere See, God is kind, yes. He is kind to let us be grafted into His vine. But God is also severe to all those who become lazy spiritually and turn away from Christ. And so our salvation demands that we persevere till the end. We were saved by faith. We are saved eternally by faith. And our faith will has brought us safely here and our, sa- our faith will lead us safely home. It's all on the basis of God's grace. It comes through faith. A couple points of application this morning. First, there should be no rivalry between Jews and Gentiles. We've been joined together in the body of Christ. This is the mystery of Christ that, that was not revealed to the Old Testament. That Jews and Gentiles would come together in the context of a local church and become fellow heirs where Gentiles would be 
vaulted to the same level of, of grace as the Jews. And all of that is on the basis of Christ. And one of the great mysteries, one of the great beauties of Christ's church is that Jews and Gentiles can come together. Gentiles are not lesser members or or junior members, but equal members in Christ. And so we should not resent the Jews in any way. Their foundation was necessary for our salvation. We would not have Christ without the Jews. And God in His great wisdom is displaying the excellencies of His power and His mercy as He comes to show love on Jews and Gentiles alike and brings them into one assembly so that we can join together the progress of the Gospel. There should be no rivalry. Secondly, there should be no boasting by either Jews or Gentiles. If God chose in His sovereignty to to cut off unbelieving Jews in the wilderness... He had a whole generation that died because they did not believe God. And if God chose to cut off other Jews throughout history, what makes us think that He will not do the same to us if we continue in our unbelief? So here's the main point of the text, is that we Gentiles should not look down upon either believing Jews who aren't at the center of God's program or unbelieving Jews who have been cast off. Because our heritage, like theirs, is a Jewish one. We are connected to their vine. Their root supports us. We don't support their roots. God is kind in giving salvation. But if you drift off into thinking that you deserved your salvation or that you no longer need God's grace, then you are on the brink of God's severity. Spiritual disaster. So get your focus back on Christ. Remember that you're saved by faith, not because of your superiority over Jews or because God saw something special in you. You are saved just like every Jew was saved on the basis of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, thankful for salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. Thankful for the promises that are true and sure. Thankful that that we don't have to depend upon our own righteousness, but we can continue to look to Christ by faith. And Lord, you're the one who grants us that faith, that belief, and we pray that you would keep us all the way till the end. Lord, help us not to stray from you. How easy is it for us to get our eyes on on the things of this world. How easy is it for us to to think about the things that are passing away? How easy is it for us to to become arrogant because of our current position and to forget where we came from and to forget the warning of judgment if we turn away? Lord, guard our hearts. Keep us on the path towards eternal life as we continually depend on you day after day. And Lord, use this church body to help hold us accountable in that way. When sin starts to pull us away or false doctrine, Lord, use members in this congregation to hold us up and to draw us back onto the path of righteousness and truth. We pray that you'd help us to do that for them as well. In Jesus' name.